0: Hi, everyone. Welcome to journey number 33. Today, we have Becca Atkinson on the podcast, and um, I'm ready for a really interesting, cool, and uh, um, different conversation today. So, uh, I mean, to get started, I always love asking people, Becca, a little bit about yourself. So if you can kind of just introduce yourself, um, you know, where you live, where you're from, uh, what you do for a living, kind of whatever comes up. Sure,
1: thanks for having me. I'm really excited for this conversation. and I you know, can hear the cat meowing in the background right now, so that'll add some interesting uh, background noise if anyone else can hear that. Um, so Becca, I always, I have a, a habit of going Becca alcoholic, so <laughs> Becca alcoholic. Um, I am right now in my living room in Gatineau, Quebec, um, which borders Ottawa, so where I work. I work for the federal government, a public servant, uh, with the federal government, I am a single mother of two boys, um, and I've been in the Ottawa area for ooh, I don't know how to, I don't know how to do math apparently. Um, probably about twenty years now. I went to Carleton University, grew up in Belleville, Ontario, and uh, kind of stuck around uh, after university here. So love the area. Little little cool getting into the <laughs> those six months of winter right now. So. <laughs> But yeah, that's about it. I have, a, I have a cat who you can hear and a dog who's upstairs who is silent right now. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Amazing. Um, and, you know, I guess before we jump into it too, I'm always curious of, you know, a little bit about when people were growing up and like, what, were you, what was your dream job when you were growing up? What kind of kid were you? Um, yeah, anything that comes up with that. I always find it so interesting and in how much it shapes us. Uh, you know, whether it's, you went to school for something and, you know, mm-hmm. it completely changed. You said you mm-hmm. went to Carlton there and, um, even, you know, what caused you to move. And, you know, I talk a lot cause I'm born and raised in Calgary here. And mm-hmm. a lot of the people that I grew up with, they always had this huge urge to just take off as soon mm-hmm. as like, they didn't want to be here. They wanted to move somewhere else. Um, but for me, it's always just felt like home and I never necessarily had that urge. Um, so yeah, I, I'm just curious if there's anything that comes up about that of, you know, either when you're a kid or, um, you know, what caused you to move and, or anything like that?
1: Mm, that's a really good question. No one's ever asked me that before. <laughs> um, well, well, I think I'd run myself out of Belleville. Like, <laughs> I, think I, had, I think I had to get out of that, that town. Uh, Belleville is just a little small for, for someone who needed to spread their wings a bit. Um uh in Ottawa you know it's funny it's just felt like it was like I was born in Toronto and was there for a few years and Toronto always felt just so huge and massive and like overwhelming so I knew that wasn't where I wanted to go um but Ottawa just felt kind of like a nice in between like not not too exciting just (laughs) you know manageable in size uh you know and and I stayed because I don't know I kind of I kind of like to you know when you ask me what did I want to be when I grew up I don't know if I ever really I never really landed on anything like I feel like growing up as a kid you you know you have like these well I don't think we're the same generation but in my generation <laughs> we were like you could be a doctor a teacher a like these like, these really label centric like four types of professions cowboy astronaut you know <laughs> like these types of things yeah. but like no one says like I'm gonna be a public servant when I grow up like so. I don't think I really knew all the options that were out there. And then when you come to Ottawa, you basically have to become a public servant. It's like the law, <laughs> you have to be, be one. It took me a while to get into it. I was in nonprofits for a while, which I really like that fed my soul a bit until I couldn't buy anything. Cause like I wasn't getting paid enough to do that. Yeah. Uh, so that kind of found where I wanted to be in the public service. Um, but yeah, I just, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's funny to think back on like, what I was like as a kid and how I how that kind of led me to where I am today. I feel like I just kind of went with the wind for a while. I was just like, hmm like I'll just do whatever. I took mass communication in university because I liked pop culture. I liked understanding like why things were put out there, why things are on TV, why this is chosen, like not not journalism. I didn't want to be a journalist, but like I just liked it wasn't like I wanted to do that as a job either. I just did it because I liked it. And then it was just like, okay, now, now I need a job. I still don't know what I want to be. I kind of <laughs> still feel that way. I don't know what I want to be when I grow up. A podcaster, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> well, you, you know, it's so interesting. And I think it's, it is one thing that almost everybody experiences is those big label jobs. Yeah. Like, okay, so you're going to be a lawyer, a doctor, um, right. whatever it might be. And then at some point it's like, well, no, now you have to be, now you have to be uh, realistic of you can't do those, right? Like, no, that's for when you're a kid. Now you be realistic. Um, but, you know, I, I think my life has been a lot of the same of when I went to university, I applied for four different programs and I was just like, I don't know, I kind of like science, <laughs> maybe I'll be a doctor. I don't know. <laughs> right? Um, yeah. So I get it, but very interesting. Um, now... I, you know, for you and your personal branding, um, it's the unashamed alcoholic. Mm-hmm. And I would just love to hear from you, like that story of what that means to you, how it came about mm-hmm. um, when it started everything like that.
1: Sure. So, oh, you know, for a long time, I didn't think that I could be an alcoholic. And I still say that kind of in in my messaging now is like, you know, to that the point of all a lot a bit of the point of big point of all this is to change the way people see an alcoholic and what that means, because the years I spent worrying about my drinking, I knew that I couldn't be an alcoholic because I wasn't a homeless man under a bridge. I was a vibrant 30 something uh, who had a husband at the time, I had kids, I had a job, I had, you know, I wasn't drinking in the morning, all these things, I couldn't be an alcoholic. So when I, you know, fast forward a few years and got to the point of, okay, I, I've got to stop drinking, I'm in AA, Um, you know, but now this is all secret too. Uh, So I spent years worrying and wondering in secret about if I had a drinking problem. And then in now in recovery, not telling anyone that I have a drinking problem or I did, or I'm working on it. And I just thought like this, something's off here. Like this doesn't feel, I feel like I was just walking around with this heavy secret, even though like in, once I got sober, life was infinitely better. I was repairing relationships. I was figuring out who I really was. Like I'd never known as corny as that sounds. I'd never known myself before. Cause every moment of celebration or whatever had been accompanied by alcohol so like a little bit of sort of dulled right so I just kind of got to this point where about three years in I was feeling kind of itchy about it and I was like something's you know why can't I talk about this and i told people here and there that like you know I'm I don't drink or I'm sober or, but I rarely said the word alcoholic because of the stigma that surrounds it And then Bobby Ryan, who played for the Ottawa Senators in February or March of 2020, kind of came out that he had gone into the NHL Players Association substance abuse program and for alcohol. And I thought, huh, like, well, I love him and he's kind of got something similar to me. So I wrote a letter to the editor of the Ottawa Sun and I said like, thank you for coming forward with this. Like I'm with you. In more ways than one, you know. Like I, I'm a fan, but I also, you know, suffer the same thing. And we're part of a club that no one wants to join, but are forever grateful to be part of. Um, ultimately, but I signed it anonymously because, like, could not put my name to that saying. Like I'm an alcoholic too. Mm-hmm. And then in September of 2020, I'm now separated. I'm living on my own. Um, something was just brewing. And he won, uh, Bobby Ryan won the Bill Masterton Trophy um, for like dedication, sportsmanship and all these things. And he, in his acceptance speech, he spoke again about the uh, the outpouring of support he'd received earlier that year when he came forward with his alcohol uh, abuse. And I just thought it was like such a spur of the moment. It had been like, like I said, brewing for years of like, why am I keeping this a secret? And when he said that, that night, I immediately, I went back online, I found that letter to the editor I wrote that was anonymous and I put it on my Twitter and I said, this was me. I wrote this. I'm not ashamed anymore. And like, it was that word, right? I'm not ashamed anymore to say this. This was me. I'm an alcoholic. And it was really because of him, because of him, he said something. I thought if he can say something and all these people still love him, why can't I do that? So I did. And then I kind of went up doing an interview with CBC Ottawa Morning a few days later because I'd seen that I posted that. And I hung up the phone after that, after kind of pu- really publicly saying I'm an alcoholic. I thought, now what? Like that felt like a thousand pounds were lifted off my shoulders. And that kind of just started the process of how do I keep talking about this? Um, because there's really no reason why I shouldn't be able to talk about this because I worried for years that I had a drinking problem, but sort of that misconception of like what an alcoholic looks like, I could have gotten help way sooner. If there had been someone, if we talked about this more commonly and more openly, I could have gotten help sooner or realized that I am an alcoholic sooner. Um, You know, that's not all these stereotypes of like what an alcoholic is. And that's ultimately what I wanted to do is just, you know, put a face to it and really <clears throat> share my story and hopefully, you know, help someone else out there who, um, is wondering or worrying about the the same sort of thing. And, and to realize there's nothing wrong with that word. That's why I put it in the title, uh, alcoholic in the title, because it's a word we like everyone clutches their pearls. Like when you say, it's just like, Oh, it's a, such a bad or dirty word like it, yeah. it's not like let's just talk about it so I just thought like how can I really grab <laughs> grab attention
0: yeah. is
1: put those two words together and that's ultimately I mean it was an, an attention grabbing concept uh, uh, with the title of it so that's that's really how it started yeah
0: that's that's incredible and like thank you for sharing and that takes so much strength to to come out and especially in public and talk about something yeah. that holds that so many people hold so much shame around. And, you know, there's, there's a lot of things that you said in there that I'm really curious about. Um, But, you know, I think the first one would be, you know, talking about the, the time period from when like, no, I'm not an alcoholic to kind of getting to that acceptance point. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'm curious, was it a process like, was it a gradual process where there are specific, you know, bigger events that kind of like shook you and then, you know, challenged your thinking around it? Like, what was that process like getting from no, you know, like whatever <clears throat> internal dialogue might have been of, you know, well, I drink sometimes, but I'm not an alcoholic mm-hmm. to, you know, like, yes, I, I think that I am an alcoholic and I do need help. Mm-hmm. What was that process like?
1: Um, I, you know, it's funny because I, I think back on it and I, there was a few moments of like red flags, I guess, where I'm like, oh, I drink differently than other people. And that kind of progressed into the, the end of, of my drinking. And I, you know, when I first was in, um, in Ottawa after I graduated Carleton, like living with like seven people in the Byward market and had a, my first real job and I would come home and have some drinks after work. Cause like, that's what adults do. You get home from work and you have a few drinks. Like, that's what I thought you you did. Why wouldn't you? You can, you can do that. And I noticed that my roommates didn't do that. Like why? And I just thought like, guys, you're allowed. Like we're we're adults now. We live on our own. You can't do that. And they didn't have to. And I remember thinking, oh, that's weird. Like, and like, I feel like I have to do this or I can, I want to, like it was all kind of mixed in the same Thing So I thought, okay, that was a moment I really remember um, going, I drink differently than mm-hmm. these people do. And then <clears throat> when I was in, like, their 20s were like, just total party time, uh, like heavily drinking, but like everyone was, um, but like, there was no question about like, what I was doing every weekend it was like drinking. And then when I um, got into a relationship with my now ex-husband, I was just like, started to think like, I can't not drink. There was no like day off or whatever, like you come home from work and you have some drinks, uh, you know, groceries included buying a case of beer. Like that's just what it, it was just an automatic thing. And so around then I was like, can I not drink? Like, is that a thing? Like, but, but you know, I'm not, you know, getting consequences for it. I'm not losing my job, but it was just like always there. And, I joined like this online women's forum for like women who are trying to manage their drinking, not AA, because like couldn't be an alcoholic. And it was like, okay, try to like, this is like the first part of like being, be, you know, re- realizing you're an alcoholic is trying to manage your drinking. So I was like, I'll only drink, you know, making negotiations with yourself. I'll only drink, you know, Thursday to Sunday or Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday, that sort of thing, or just on the weekend type thing, but like, as if, like, that never worked, because like, Monday's hard, have a drink, Wednesday, I've got a dinner with a friend, so like, drink before, during, and after that, you know, like, oh, Sunday, it's nice out, like, drinks on, drinks on someone's back deck, like, there was always a reason, so it was really hard to, like, so then it's just like, okay, now I'm trying to manage, the managing of it is just too much, and so it was, kind of around, that was like getting to the end, um, in my early thirties. And then I had kids and suddenly like, you know, kids are supposed to be like your priority, but also I was trying to manage drinking as my priority. I was just like, these two things don't, you know, aren't, aren't meeting up very well. Yeah. Uh, so that just became, it was just, it's, I have to explain it. Like for me, it wasn't quantity of drinking. It was in my head thinking about it. So, I was so exhausted from always thinking about drinking and like when I will next, how much do I have left at home? Can I, do I have to drive anywhere tonight? Can I drink before five, whatever, like this type of thing, rather than being blackout drunk on the face down on the floor. Like I wasn't doing that. I wasn't throwing up every night or anything. I was just constantly thinking about drinking and I just got so sick of it. And then in June, uh, June 2017, I just got like shit-faced at my grandmother's funeral, like we all did. Uh, But I woke up the next day. I was just like, nope, that's it. Like, I can't do that. I can't do this anymore. That was my moment. And like, you know, I talk about this a lot, like rock bottom doesn't have to be like a car crash or a DUI or whatever. Like it's just, you're done. And I woke up that morning being like, I'm done. Like, I can't, I can't live like this anymore. I don't want to live like this anymore. And so that was really, that was the turning point. And then, a few months later, was like, i I started going to AA after I, after I stopped a few months. So it was, you know, it was a real progression of like, I love to drink yeah. too. <laughs> I have a problem.
0: Yeah, for sure. And, you know, I, th- this might be a harder question to answer because I feel like a lot of it is subconscious, but, you know, hearing you talk about that's just what you do when you're an adult, right? Mm-hmm. Of like when you you get home and you can drink, and so why wouldn't you? And um, so you know, I'm I'm just curious if you were able to ever figure out where that came from, right? And I think like a lot of times, you know, we we see patterns on the people around us, whether it be our pa- parents or um you know older even like siblings or whatever it might be or like family friends and you see that and you go like oh so that's just what you do and mm-hmm. you know that's that's one thing that I've talked a lot about is like the supposed to or like mm-hmm. that's what you should do and that's just it you know it sometimes starts out as you know a decision that you make when you're very young and then it just turns into like no that is a truth once mm-hmm. you're grown up and you don't really realize that that's where it came from I'm just curious if you had ever been able to um, you know, figure out where that idea came from, um, of this is what you do in as a, as an adult.
1: That's such a good question. And yeah, I think for a lot of it, it was what I saw growing up was like, you know, my dad would come home from work and have a gin and tonic and then move into wine. Like, that's just mm-hmm. what everyone did that, but that's what everyone's parents were doing, you know, like, and I feel like even now that's still what I see, like, you know, I heard a parent in the neighborhood the other day say like, oh, it's been such a long day, like I need a drink. And that's like the the number one thing you're not supposed to say in front of kids is because that teaches them the way to relieve stress is have a drink, right? And that's what, you know, we're more aware of that now. I'm I'm hyper aware of it, but like growing up, first of all, sobriety was never presented as an option to me. Um, And I think a lot of people in you know, our our age group um, and certainly older than me, sobriety was not spoken about. And yeah. I say this like, t- I say this till I'm blue in the face. It's assumed that everyone drinks until you say you don't. Yeah. Drinking is the norm in our culture, in our society. Like until you say I don't drink, it's assumed that you do. And and even when you say it's you don't, the automatic thing is like, well, what's wrong? Why? Like what, you know, what's wrong with you? Like you're a failure yeah. uh, because it's assumed that everyone drinks and that you should drink. Like that's the normal thing. So, you know, going c- like from a family who was like heavy drinkers, for sure, there's alcohols in, the, in, my, in my family, for sure. Um, but like the automatic thing was drinking. Drinking is the automatic thing. So that's what I saw growing up. Um, And then that's kind of what I just started modeling too, like that coming home after work, you have you have a drink, Um, but it was never not drinking was never an option. So I'm really glad that for my kids, they, they won't that the ages they are and I'm four years sober, they will never remember me drinking and they'll have that model of someone who drinks because even if people don't drink heavily. Most people have a beer or a glass of wine or something on occasion, but my kids will see zero, like absolutely zero drinking from their mother, which is like pretty rare, I think, for kids to still see as a a parent's, a parent model.
0: For sure. And, you know, I think it's, again, it kind of goes back to that, just making it normal as well, right? Of just, it's not... It doesn't have to be this humongous thing of like, oh, like you're sober. Yes. Like you, you know, like you said, a lot of times we associate that with like, oh, there's something wrong with that. Or like you're the outcast or whatever it might be. But, um, you know, again, just, and I'm a huge believer. And we talked a little bit about this before we started recording of um, just normalizing it and talking, you know, sharing Mm -hmm. our experiences and especially topics that have a lot of um, taboo around them. Especially like, you know, that society, you know, call it either looks down on or that's not what you're supposed to do or whatever it might be. And what I've found, especially in my own life, is it led to a lot of shame and it led to a lot of isolation Mm -hmm. where, oh, nobody talks about this. Nobody else talks about struggling with this. And so I must be the only one. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's almost that self-fulfilling prophecy and almost that, you know, that cycle, of, um, you know, I struggle with this. Um, so nobody, but nobody else does, which brings shame, which makes me struggle with it more, which brings more shame and just going round and round and round, Right. And, mm-hmm. you know, like one for me that comes to mind was, uh, you know, like body image issues as a man and talking about like, oh, you know, I have insecurities about my body as a man, but no, that's not allowed. And so, um, something's wrong with me and getting into that cycle, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, I think another one that that's coming up for me, like, as you're, as you're talking, there is the baggage around something. Right. And, you know, kind of what people associate with certain terms or, um, you know, whatever it might be. And for me, it was, I never thought that I had an addictive personality because, you know, same sort of thing is drinking is so normalized. Of like, well, no, I'll go out and you know I'll have I'll have drinks and yes, I'll get drunk and um, you know like yes, I'll black out. But I'm young. That's what kids are doing, right? Um, but I've never touched a drug in my life, and that therefore means I'm not I don't have an addictive personality. <laughs> and, and it was it was a very interesting realization for me of going, oh, okay, yes. However, I use. Um, you know, substances that aren't typically associated with addiction and whether that be like food, right? right. Of, right. you know, going and eating my feelings, haha, ha, that's funny, but it's true of mm-hmm. I'm feeling sad or I don't want to feel this. I'm going to go and order a large pizza and eat the whole thing and sit there and that'll make me feel better, right? Mm-hmm. And so kind of deconstructing a lot of those preconceived notions is something that that I've gone into and looked at a lot and um you know I'm I'm curious about with being more open about your journey and your struggles have you been able to witness anybody's you know notions change around the subject like and usually that's people that are closer to us whether they be close friend family whatever it might be um have you witnessed that yourself of You know, they had a very strong viewpoint of like, no, this is what that means. But seeing you share has, has it switched or have they been a lot more rigid?
1: Um, you know, I think for, with the term alcoholic, it's such a, it's such a word that we're supposed to keep secret. Like it's such a shameful, this, this, the, the notions around it uh, is, is really like shame and keep quiet I mean then there you have the add in the whole concept of like alcoholics anonymous which is like another way to like keep quiet about things Yeah. um and I'm that can that can and I'm not saying it the point of it is but the, it can perpetuate the idea of like you stay quiet about this which is kind of why I decided you know I I also share about that story that part of my story so I don't I, I, I take that out of it. I take that shame out of the AA side of it too, because I want, I'm allowed to talk about me being an AA if I want to, um, because I want to just lift the veil on all of it and change the way people see that word because people are afraid to use that word. Um, I think for me, like, let's say my family, we have alcoholism in the family and it was never openly said. It was like a so-and-so has, this as like a, a a sort of uh part of like their um the disease like this is now happening to them but like wouldn't say the word alcoholic or alcoholism is causing this to happen so it was always kind of like this hush hush thing and that it, that's what it is in a lot of families it's not spoken about openly and honestly because it's like again, it goes back to our society and culture, you're supposed to drink, like you're supposed to drink. And if you can't, which is what I fought a long time, it's like, what's wrong with me? Why can't I drink normally? Normally, Uh, you know, then you're like a failure. So you keep this secret. And then that just, like you said, perpetuates the whole thing. Like, well, I'm now a failure. So I'll keep this a secret. And then like, it just goes on and on. I think for my family, because it's in the family. It was pretty shocking at first that I'm like, hey, everybody, (laughs) I've decided to say this word and I'm not going to have a problem with it anymore. I think they were like,
0: (gasps) (laughs) "Okay,"
1: but this has now been like a year and I like everyone's on board, like super happy for me, like jealous of who I get to talk to on the podcast. Like, it's wonderful, Um, really proud of me. Like, it's really nice. Um, And then friends like you know every i used to be really i still used to i still was afraid to tell people like even when i started doing the podcast i hadn't told some people like in my real life (laughs) and i was just like we'll see and i thought like all the kids friends like my kids are nine and seven like friends of their friends parents in the neighborhood like what will they think when I tell them, like, I have, I do something on this side that has the word alcoholic in it. Like, I also speak for the federal government, like I part of their federal government speakers bureau. And I share my story that way. So I'm just like, someone's gonna <laughs> see me at some point. But then I just thought like, God, this is the whole point of what you're doing, just say it. And, you yeah. know, anytime I've told someone that I've been like, I have often been like a little worried or apprehensive I've never received anything but support anytime. Like it's been so, it's always like such a nice relief. Cause you're just like, oh, like I didn't have anything to worry about. Like they think it's awesome. And they're just like, what? Like, wow. So I think, I think I've contributed to changing a lot of ideas about what an alcoholic looks like. Cause I know I had the same sort of misconceptions around what an alcoholic is like I couldn't have been one for a long time because I didn't fit these stereotypes so I hope if nothing else I'm changing people's judgment or stereotype or whatever around what that is and just make them reflect and think like it you know we're coming up to Christmas don't just don't give the teachers a gift card to the LCBO or whatever it is like don't automatically do that like think about something else and not everyone drinks, just get that idea out there. So I think like if nothing else, you know, I've sort of put these little sprinkles out in my little, in my network of like making people think twice.
0: And that's, that's so amazing. And I think that is overall the response that a lot of people that, you know, come out with very vulnerable things get, where they do actually get a lot of, a lot more support than they're expecting. And I know I did once I started talking about my struggles Um, You know, the other interesting thing for me was, I would say 99% of people supported it wholly. And like, actually, it, it made our relationships better and closer. And they saw this of like, oh, you know, like, you know, you sharing your flaws makes me feel closer to you. Um, Because, you know, whether I was doing it consciously or subconsciously, I wasn't showing all of myself to them. And I was trying to hide a lot of flaws Um, which went into a ton of programming of if there's something wrong with me, you Uh know, people won't like me. Um, But even the people that didn't support it because it either challenged uh, their own demons or Uh it changed the relationship dynamic that we had. It was so clear because of the support and the amount of support and how right that felt that when they didn't when they didn't support me, it was very clear of like, oh, that is not something about me. That is not a, oh, this was wrong of you to do that. Oh, that's a reflection on them. And that's actually a relationship that I don't necessarily want or need in my life. And so even in those negative reactions, something positive came out of it.
1: Yeah. Because you're taking care of yourself and you're realizing like in being honest and vulnerable, like what you want and what you don't want anymore. And providing these sort of stories or these sides of ourselves or these this honesty, uh, you're right. Like opens up these sort of dialogues or or whatever it may be with these relationships that you maybe had hadn't scratched the surface of before, hadn't gone you know any any further in. Then this kind of brings things about, and you're just like, oh, okay. Well, if you're not going to be supportive or you are having trouble with this, and like then this isn't for us anymore. So it'll, it allows you to grow personally because you can sort of figure out what it is you want from people, what it is you need from friends or family in a relationship, rather than just kind of coasting along without ever having to deal with something like this.
0: For sure. Um, and you know, another interesting one, and the conversation has the whole time been really about it, but it's it's something that I realized and try to communicate to other people, which is why I wanna talk to you about it, is one of the reasons why I started the podcast was to talk about the things that I hold a ton of shame around and to put them out into the universe, to put them out publicly. And, you know, it's funny for me, I was like, even if only three people listened to it in my brain, I'm like, it is out there, (laughs) right? It's now out in the universe, it's out. People can find it and therefore Mm -hmm. I don't have to be afraid of being caught, right? (laughs) Of, you know, in a conversation, somebody might realize that, you know, here's an insecurity or here's something that I'm ashamed of, whatever it might be. And trying to explain to people just how, for me, that was actually taking the power back from it and taking the power away from whatever that thing might be, because I'm now controlling the, the narrative. I'm controlling the narrative. I've put it out there. I don't have to be afraid. Um, I'm curious, just in your own words, if you were to explain that to somebody and if you even resonate with it of, you know, coming out with these things, do you feel like it's taking the power away from it?
1: You know, I think with the name of the podcast, like the unashamed alcoholic, I think that And I say this a lot um, when people say don't use labels because there's a lot of dialogue out there about the label of alcoholic and not using that anymore, moving to substance use disorder or whatever. And I really stick with the word alcoholic because I want and the whole point of it was that I wanted to take that word and not necessarily change the narrative for everyone, but change it for for me, first of all, change the, the meaning of it for me, and take ownership of something that I was, one, for a long time afraid to say, um, and two, that I, I'm proud of it. And, and, you know, it's hard to understand saying I'm proud to be an alcoholic, but I really am. I remember when I first heard someone say that in a meeting, I was just like, what? Like, that's I don't understand. Like, how is that possible? And I really am now because it's made me who I am today. And I'm a hundred times better than I was in my teens, twenties, or thirties. Like I absolutely love my life now. I'm genuinely happy. I'm proud of myself and what I've accomplished. Um, So I wanted to just take that word and make it my own, but also to take some of the like obviously take the stigma away from it but make it okay to say like if I'm saying it and I am one then it's okay for you to say it too and and you know someone I was out like on a date the other week and they knew I didn't drink because I'm very upfront about that um but they made a joke they were just like something I'm like oh I'm you know I'm not the one who's a recovering alcoholic I'm like no that's me like you know make light of it like I don't care we can talk about we. Like, And like we laughed and whatever. And I think they were just kind of like taken aback because one, I really quickly admitted to it and like with a smile on my face, like, yeah, like I am, you know, it's not something I'm, I try to hide or I'm ashamed of anymore. Like, I want to make that word just a normal word right like I don't want it to be like a word we can't say we have to say it quietly or in secret or whatever no because that's the whole point of like why people don't talk about this because that word has so many negative connotations so if I can say it and not always like in a like I'm an alcoholic no it's like I'm an alcoholic hey (laughs) you know like I change the way we see it and it's okay like that I mean the podcast has infinitely helped me do that if I didn't have that I don't know where I'd be with saying that word but it's like it's made it okay for me to say because it's like hey I'm a podcast Oh yeah. Well, yeah what's it called like well <laughs> you know it's made it I want to make it like just a it's just a word you know yeah. and I, it, that's who I am like it's it's okay to say it and it's okay to say it like lightheartedly too
0: and you know I, I love that you say that because I think it's so important in the conversation we had about normalizing it right Mm
1: -hmm.
0: you know normalizing something you know it includes all different aspects of it including you know making light of it you know yes some conversations are going to be serious some are going to be light some are going to be factual some are going to be whatever it might be Mm -hmm. Um, but just because you know you struggle with something doesn't necessarily getting to a point where you can just completely normalize it I think is important not only for yourself but so important for other people to see Yeah. And, you know, I'm curious if you have, you know, if you have any advice for people where they're just starting their journey and whatever they might be struggling with, whether it's, you know, um, you know, some sort of addiction or, uh, you know, like depression or whatever it might be. We all have our struggles. We all have our demons. And Mm -hmm. I think one of the hardest points is when you've accepted that you need help or that there's something that you're struggling with, And then taking that next step. Mm -hmm. And so I'm curious if you have any advice on, okay, for the person that has identified, they might need some more, they might need some help, however that looks like, how do they take that next step and where did you go to take that next step?
1: That's such an important question. I'm really glad you brought that up because for me... I worried and wondered alone for years and I would advise like anyone who's looking at like their first, you know, then like the first step into this, whatever it may be, don't do anything alone because I spend way too much time Um, wondering alone worrying alone am I not why am I not like everyone else you know that sort of thing and this can apply like you said to many different things um, that people are struggling with but tell someone talk to someone whether it's a friend a parent a doctor whatever you know if, if let's say we're talking about drinking like hop in a zoom AA meeting see what it's all about like I mean, I, I was so afraid to do that, too, because I'm like everyone there is going to know I I'm an alcoholic. But like Everyone in there is an alcoholic. So <laughs> like yeah. it's, it's like what everybody, every single person worries about going to a first AA meeting is like everyone's going to know. Like Well, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, it's just not to be afraid to reach out to someone because that prevented me from getting help for. No exaggeration, years. I was doing it in secret because I was ashamed. I was um I felt like I was failing at something that we all are supposed to do. um but you know, any I, I say this like, you know, people can reach out to me if they want. I I just because a lot of times people just need to say something and tell someone, you know, you can email me, whatever, like I by no means say I'm an expert in anything. And I can't necessarily help you. But I'm an ear. If you, you know, want to just tell your story to someone, I'm there in the ether, you know? like sometimes that's all people need is to tell another human what they're going through. Um but that's what I encourage. A hundred percent is talk to someone, tell them what you're going through um, because that's what I really wish I had done
0: for sure. And you know i I couldn't agree more with it. And like for me, that person at first was a therapist. and in a complete silo of somebody that I know is, <laughs> contractually obligated to basically keep it to themselves. Right. And that was the only place I felt safe to actually go and start talking about it. And then after a couple of years of therapy, I finally told my sister who was the closest Mm -hmm. person to me in my life. Mm -hmm. Um, And still, you know, had so much fear of her rejecting me of, Uh not, you know, whatever it might be. Um, And then slowly after I started doing that, I was able to branch out. And one of the first ones for me was going to, um, essentially like a men's mental health meetup where I didn't know a soul there. I showed Mm -hmm. up by myself and I told myself it's, I'm not going to say a word. I'm just going to watch. And um, if I don't like it, that's an hour of my life that's gone and that's fine. I'm willing to do that. Mm
1: -hmm. And
0: being like having such a powerful urge to share when I was there and ending up sharing to again, start that process of, okay, I don't need to hold so much shame around this. I don't have to be alone in this journey, mm-hmm. those things. And just taking those slow steps to remove it. And they're going to they're gonna feel huge when you're doing it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, just making sure that you're not alone and finding those people that you can trust and whether those are people that are very close to you or whether mm-hmm. those are strangers. Yeah. And sometimes one is easier than the other. And a lot of times you need both of those communities.
1: Yeah, community. Exactly. That's exactly the word I was going to add in there is the sense of community that I found um, through various outlets. Like now I have uh, my meetings, I have the podcast, I have a Twitter account that I like overshare on all the time it's uh, th- these various forms that because it's not just at the beginning like I still have to talk about talk about myself all the time I still have to talk about like what I'm going through because there's always something like four years in it's not like I'm like well <laughs> all done you know everything's fine move along no it's like there's always something to be going through that you want to talk to someone about or share or get feedback on so it's really important to have that outlet of whatever it may be. And that first, I know, like, if for people who are just starting whatever their, you know, their, their journey is, that first sharing can feel so daunting, but it, you will feel like a thousand pounds is like an elephant's lifted off your chest when you finally, like, I know you, you get that, like that, when you first, like you said, you have an, you have an overwhelming urge to, to talk, like, it just, when you find that group of people like you or someone who understands or whatever, it'll just kind of pour out of you and it'll feel so much better.
0: Yeah. Yeah. The, the elephant off your, off your chest is, (laughs) makes a lot of sense. And I, Mm -hmm. it's funny, as you're saying that I'm going to the specific stories. I'm like, Oh yeah, that one. And the time I did that and the time I did that, (laughs) um, we are running out of time here and just one that I wanted to sneak in quickly, um, and I don't know if you've, if you've done any thinking or speaking about this, but as I've started to explore, um, addictions, it's one of the thing that I've, I've heard several times is that it's not actually about the substance a lot of times, and it's what you're trying to cover up. And I'm just curious if, you know, through your conversations, through talking to people, um, just if you have any general thoughts or if you've encountered that at all about again it's it's not necessarily and I, I think for me that's where it came from of uh, when you hear somebody is an addict or somebody's an alcoholic or whatever it might be it's like oh they struggle with this substance however a lot of times that the substance is covering up something within them mm-hmm.
1: Um, yeah, and I've seen that too. Uh, you know, I don't have like a childhood trauma that I'm trying to cover up or like abuse that I went through because I t- like that would make sense right like that's the easy explanation for like why people, you know, drink or or use drugs is just like, that's, you know, you've experienced some kind of trauma that you're, you're covering. I think that there's a few layers to it. I mean, for me personally, like it's in the family. So I think I inherited some kind of gene for it. I have an addictive personality to begin with. Like, it's just like, you should see my sugar. (laughs) candy cupboard behind me here uh you know like I I go in and I go hard like on everything like I I do it's very in very impulsive and I'm very like I have addictive personality so it kind of runs the gamut of everything um and alcohol just happened to be one of those things that I couldn't manage or moderate I think that uh I covered up dealing with like how like actual reality like how I felt about things like relationships for a long time was a big one. Like I struggled with like having a legitimate good relationship that like was someone who respected me or I respected them it was just like, whatever, this guy like is giving me attention. Like, you know, alcohol covered all of like the common sense around that type of thinking and, 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 and around like any kind of making good, smart relationship decisions. So like all of my relationships were like chaotic dumpster fires of people who I shouldn't have ever been with but I was because like alcohol was there and it's just like oh this person's treating me like crap like whatever like have a few drinks and everything you know goes away and uh you know I got divorced three years into my sobriety not because that was like a dumpster fire relationship but because I was just like I don't think I'm happy anymore you know and this the sobriety had allowed me to reflect on what alcohol had covered up for so long, which wasn't like a terrible abusive relationship of any, any stretch of the word. It was just like alcohol had been there to just be like, well, you know, this isn't like, this probably isn't working. You guys aren't that compatible, Um, whatever, like have a few glasses of wine and you'll forget about that. You know, and then you take the alcohol out. That's just like, huh. Is this like, I don't think we're we're in love. I don't think this is working. Like, I think we should probably. And so, you know, it was a very adult mutual decision mm-hmm. um, because there was nothing to cover it up anymore. So yeah. I think that's what, for me personally, alcohol really in, impacted my relationships and my decision-making around that. So now sober, 40, single, it's like, God, I've never dated <laughs> i've never gone on a date without being drunk i've never (laughs) kissed anyone without being drunk like how do you do this yeah as a sober adult you know like how do you learn i've never done this ever in my life and so you're just like okay well i guess i gotta figure this out so that's really what i've what i've made the connection to me personally is like alcohol was um was doing for me was really like around relationships
0: for sure and you know i'm i'm actually so glad that you That you brought that up because I think that's another piece that a lot of us do where oh I didn't have like you know a huge trauma so I shouldn't feel like this and that was a lot of mine too of like well I didn't have anything that bad happen to me like you know yes things bad things happen to people around me or um, whatever it might be but it wasn't the again the definition of when you struggle with something like whether it be depression whether it be substances whatever is oh no i I need this big event that is a trauma (laughs) that i'm gonna Mm -hmm. then up and it's it's so nuanced and we're so complicated as humans and you know everybody Mm -hmm. has their you know their own reactions own their own experiences and the same thing could happen to two different people and they can take it two different completely different ways Mm -hmm. and so You know, for me, I think even that's a big thing of it doesn't have to be a quote unquote huge, you know, event or fall into kind of the buckets that we usually look at of like, no, you can struggle with something um, because it's, it is very important to you. It's very alive in you and that's okay too. there's no threshold of like making it okay this was traumatic enough that it's you know I'm not justified (laughs) exactly
1: exactly it's all the same it all falls into the same thing of like what what makes someone um you know have an, an uh an addiction what what makes uh someone be an addict or an alcoholic what what does that look like what does that um, what did, like did you you know, check these boxes and then you are, you know, like you can it's just like going to do these quizzes, the arbitrary things of like, do I have this? Like, I don't know, like, did you experience that? I don't, like I you know, it's just, that's what I took me so long to realize that I had a problem was just like, but, this you know this sort of says I don't and this sort of language around like everyone drinks the mommy drinks wine culture like a lot says like it's normal like the kids make you want to drink so so it's just all this messaging right of like you know fitting these buckets or fitting these check boxes or whatever like what what means this or what it's really a personal it's a completely a personal decision or personal uh story
0: yeah for sure a hundred percent and um we are running out of time here, but I'm curious, is there anything that we didn't get to that you wanted to talk about? Um, I know you said that you have your own podcast. I'd love you to just kind of plug that quickly so people can find it and listen to it. Cause I think you um, have a really important story and uh, have some amazing conversations on there.
1: Yeah. Thanks. I, yeah. The, the unashamed alcoholic is really um, my unpaid side job <laughs> that I do right now. Uh, but I, I do it because I, uh, Really, I go back to why I started like sharing my story. It was just like it felt so good to talk about it. And when I was trying to decide how to uh, share it more, I thought, oh, a podcast is an easy idea (laughs) lol um but i thought how can i make this podcast sort of fit into why i came forward and i came forward because someone well-known shared their story and they still had legions of fans myself included and people to look up to them and so they use their position to say i struggle or suffered from something but I'm still me and I'm still the person, the athlete, actor, whatever that you admired. So I thought that's what I'm gonna tap into. So I speak with well-known people who are sober. Um, So a lot of great Canadians have have been on there. got uh, Mary Walsh from This Hours 22 Minutes, uh, Deborah Giovanni, who is a stand-up comedian, uh, Theo Fleury, who took the time to share his amazing story, like some really great people, plus a lot of people from reality TV, Below Deck, uh, Real Housewives of Orange County, um, Elizabeth Vargas, just some amazing, amazing people. I look back and go, I can't believe I spoke with <laughs> this person who I've seen on TV or read their book or listened to their music, like it's wild, but yeah. ultimately, we just share something in common which is addiction and they're just a regular human being you know after after that so it's uh it's a way to normalize it like you said it's a way to make people go this person's well known but they have something in common with me and they're not afraid to talk about it so why should i be afraid to talk about it and that's the whole point is to just destigmatize uh these conversations
0: amazing that's so amazing and where would be the best place for people to connect with you if they want to follow up or learn more?
1: So the uh, the UnashamedAlcoholic.ca is the website. You can find all the podcasts there. If you just Google the Unashamed Alcoholic, um, you will find uh, my the the podcast, and it's on on all platforms. Uh, my Twitter is at UnashamedALC, where I overshare everything. <laughs> <laughs> And because I have an addictive personality, I only have one social media platform.
0: <laughs> That's amazing. Thank you so much for being on. I really enjoyed our conversation. Um, and I'm again, I'm just really, really glad that you're having this conversation out in public for people to hear. So thank you so much.
1: No, thank you for having me. I really enjoyed you had some really good questions. So you made me think this morning. <laughs> I appreciate it.